0: Welcome to The Flow, a podcast created by Taboo Period Products, a social enterprise that sells organic cotton products with all profits and advocacy efforts dedicated to ending period poverty. My name's Ophelia and each week I'll be in your ears with one of our Taboo co-founders chatting about the topics that Taboo cares about most, health, well-being, gender equality, and of course, periods. So let's get into The Flow.
1: Before we get into the rest of the podcast, we want to make it clear that we are not doctors, specialists or professionals. If you're worried about anything we discuss in today's podcast, please seek help from a qualified professional. So on today's episode, we are chatting to gut and hormone specialist Sheridan Decker. Sheridan works as a functional nutritionist in Queensland and is passionate about empowering women to take control of their health. Today, we are diving into hormone imbalances your gut microbiome and how this all plays into the menstrual cycle.
0: This is an information-packed episode where we discuss pain-free periods, chronic thrush, what to eat in each phase of your cycle, and how to support your gut while taking the contraceptive pill. We honestly could have kept talking for hours with Sheridan. This is such an exciting episode. You might notice that um, Izzy is speaking over Zoom. She's currently in quarantine, a quarantine queen, Um, (laughs) and Sheridan's also speaking to us over Zoom because she's based in Queensland. But before we get into it, Izzy, what phase of the cycle are you in? What season?
1: <laughs> I'm in my spring. So I, my period just ended a couple of days ago now. Feeling fresh. Um, yeah, it's actually incredible. Like some of my pimples are leaving. Stars are shining. Stars are shining. The sun is <laughs> shining. The flowers are blooming. It's really pretty okay considering I'm in quarantine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such a good feeling when you see the pimples going down.
1: And you're like, oh, mm, okay, yeah. like
0: maybe this is an all doom and gloom. <laughs>
1: maybe this is my month. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, no, I am in autumn, not a bad autumn, but definitely have the pre-period breakout happening at the moment could definitely be because of the amount of chocolate I'm eating, which is not synonymous no. with today's episode at all and would not be recommended. <laughs> Let's just get right into the interview. All right, so can you please start by telling us what you do?
2: Yeah, cool. So uh, my background is in nutrition, uh, so I am a functional nutritionist. Um, I started quite a long, well, it feels like a long time ago now, but for me, I've been doing it for five or six years. So I started with sports science, Uh, loved that. That was awesome. That was great. I studied in Notre Dame in Fremantle um, and then was going to go into exercise physiology and was like, "Mm, not really my thing, Like, not not exactly what I want to do. Then decided to move to Queensland for a change. So I moved over to Sunshine Coast and started studying at Deakin University. So I did Masters of Nutrition there, which was fantastic loved it, and started working in that field um, primarily. I was doing personal training and doing nutrition at the same time, um, but I was finding that women were still struggling with a lot of health conditions. So, you know, like classic female of eats well, does all the right things, like is pretty conscious of what she puts on her skin, what she puts on her body and goes to the gym and da-da-da-da-da, but still having, like, hormonal stuff as in you know like your breakouts or heavy painful periods or severe bloating like that was the thing the bloating the constipation the loose stools the food allergies and I was like what is going on here there's such a mismatch you have these perfect females ticking all the boxes and yet they're still so symptomatic and at the same time I was doing like I was going down the same health journey um, I'd gotten really sick uh, in my first year of uni I've gotten glandular fever and since then my immune had just completely bottomed out um, I found out I had Well, at the time, I just lost my period, so I didn't have them for, like, seven years, maybe, um, which was, you know, obviously a long time when you're sort of in your early 20s. And then I started going down the traditional medical approach, so I was seeing GPs, I was seeing gynecologists, I was seeing immunologists, they're going, you know, like, why is this young 20-year-old, why has she got... Uh, no periods, why she constipated, like I was going like once a week, if I was lucky, I was super bloated, I was reacting to a lot of foods, really tired, like exhausted, and there was all this stuff, I'm like, you know, don't know what's going on. We'll check out. They did bone marrow biopsies. They did MRI wow. scans. Yeah, they did like everything. <laughs> like I saw so many people for so many years, and it was always just like we don't know. Like not sure what's going on. Don't have a diagnosis. Just take the birth control pill. And when you're ready, yeah, yeah, when you're ready to have babies, come back to us. And I'm like, Mm. I'm 20. I'm not going to be ready for a while. I've got, Mm. this is not, you know, this is not Mm. me. Mm. Um, So I didn't go on it at first. But then they're like, well, if you don't go on it, you're going to get cancer because you're not shedding your uterine lining regularly. And I was like, what? But I feel like I might get it if I go on it. So what's the best of both worlds? Plus I had all this gut stuff going on as well. So I was like, none of this makes sense. At the same time, yeah, I was studying, I was exercising a lot, doing a lot of CrossFit, training a lot, um, which was totally burning my body out as well. So there was all this mismatch in my health world, and then at the same time, I'm seeing all these women doing the nutrition and the exercise stuff, and I'm seeing exactly the same things. So then, at some point, someone recommended me to a functional GP, like an integrated GP, and I was like, "Don't know what this is all about." Um, when I saw them, they're like, "Right." We need to do some stool testing. We need to do some comprehensive hormone testing. And I was like, oh, I don't know what this is going to show. Anyway, that came back with a couple parasites, candida overgrowth, about five Mm. different toxic bacteria overgrowths. Um, So more along those lines of SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it showed up with all this stuff. And for the first time, I was like, oh, I've got an answer. Like, it's not just like, we don't know it's like this is what I've got plus all my hormone testing I was I was menopausal I had no progesterone I had no estrogen my androgens were high and my cortisol was through the roof so it was like oh I'm starting to see the bigger picture now and for me like that was it I couldn't go back to doing what I was doing and say eat so many calories and eat this 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 this, and you know. Things are going to clear up because for me that wasn't working. And for some people without, you know, with reasonably healthy guts, cleaning up your diet, perfect, and it fixes whatever needs to be fixed and rebalances things out. But for me, diet, exercise, supplements, those things alone didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I needed the testing. So I went back and did another year of study, um, did uh, functional diagnostic nutrition and then learned all about the stool testing, the urine testing, the thyroid testing, the blood testing, all like those sides of things, um, which was really great because I really respect and I support the medical approach because it keeps us alive, right? Like your GP has 10 to 20 minutes, they're doing what they need to do to the best of their knowledge, to the best of their time to, to keep you alive and healthy. But with someone like me or, or a naturopath or someone comes in and goes, hey, but what about functioning optimally? Mm-hmm. Like, what about how is your body functioning and how can we optimise that rather than just getting you from A to B each month? It doesn't matter that, you know, you've got these painful periods or that you're bloated all the time or you're fatigued or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it looked beyond that and it looked at what I always, you know, my tagline kind of thing is like test don't guess and always look for the root cause because there's a reason. There's a reason you're low in iron. There's a reason you've got heavy periods. There's a reason your skin's breaking out. And symptomatic support is amazing as in good quality skincare or um, you know laser treatments or whatever it is that's gonna support you supportive supplements vitamins minerals all that stuff I'd love but if you're not looking at the why then you're just you're spending so much money because it's just ongoing for, for how long? Like forever like I don't know. So for me that was the turning point. Um, that was my like real driving passion having walked that journey myself and then being like right I I need to help I need to educate I need like I, what what can I do and then that led me to yeah starting my own business pretty much
0: <laughs> I think so Very many nice. women can relate to that idea of you know I'm exercising I have you yeah. know every skincare product under the sun I'm doing you know, everything that the book is telling me to do and it's not working. So that frustration would just build up.
1: Yeah. I feel like there is so much to unpack there, even in just your personal journey. Firstly, constipation is so bad (laughs) and no one talks about how painful it is. It's such a real symptom.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And constipation, like in my My primary niche or focus is IBS, and I say that IBS or irritable bowel syndrome is a um, BS diagnosis. I don't believe it's a real diagnosis. I believe you when you tell me you have the symptoms of IBS, which is irritable bowel, so constipation, lose stools or both like i believe you and i believe you have the bloating and the gassiness and i know how much it impacts your life but i know it's not a real diagnosis so i know it's not the underlying cause it will be caused from parasites or bacterial overgrowths or pathogens or um, poor digestive function or even some people, just not enough fibre and water. It's as simple as that. But I believe people with those symptoms. But then, yeah, constipation itself, being able to unpack that and go, okay, like why... Why is that going on and what's the root cause for it and what is a symptom-based approach of things that we can do right now within the next couple of days to support it while you get to the underlying cause? Because that's the thing as well. I don't want you struggling with constipation for three, four weeks till you get your microbiome testing back. I want to know that you're starting to poo daily because some people... Going every three to four days is normal in itself. And then I've got to be like, well, do you know what that's doing to your estrogen? Do you know what that's doing to your hormones? And do you know what that's doing to your period? So if you're not eliminating all these toxins and all these hormones out your body, they just they're just recycling. It's it's as simple as that. So, it, and it's like any toxin you're absorbing. And, and as good as we can be with you know organic sanitary items or good quality you know clothing or fruits or veggies or washing things or our air quality, our water quality, there's still toxins we pick up day to day and if you've got bacterial overgrowth well they've got to get out of your body somehow either that's going to show up in your skin if that's not coming out you know in your stools and same with your hormones if they are sitting there in your colon in your large intestine for a couple of days they're getting reabsorbed and on top of that if you don't have the good bacteria in your gut to break down um, this estrogen properly and eliminate it from your body again things build up and they sit there and you you get like a second dose of estrogen and these women are going well why are my boobs sore why are my periods heavy or why have I put on weight or why am I mood so uncontrollable and I'm like well let's go for starters you're not pooing you've got to go and also, secondary to that, often the reason they're not going is maybe they're not eating enough fibre that you know might depict it, but your liver has, and this is a little bit complicated, but I'll keep it simple, your liver has two phases, phase one and phase two. Now, estrogen has to go through both of these phases before it can get eliminated out by your stools. These phases are supported by all your vitamins, all your minerals, but also things like your cruciferous vegetables that have compounds in it that activate that process in the liver. So it'll convert estrogen from what essentially is a toxic hormone, turn it into a water-soluble particle, let's say, that can get eliminated out of the body. Now, if you're not eating enough of those cruciferous vegetables, so cow, broccoli, um, spinach, cabbage, cauliflower, those things, that activation process is going to be hindered. But if you are not having adequate intake of Vitamin B, like all your Bs, so B2, B6, B1, B2, B3, B6, all of them, all the way up to B12. If you're not having adequate intake of them, adequate intake of vitamin C, adequate proteins in your diet, so whether that's vegan, vegetarian, even uh, even meat-based diets as well, women still struggle sometimes to get enough protein in. It's not going to support that liver process. And, again, if your estrogen cannot go through those phases in your body, which relies on the liver, relies on the gut, it's not going to get excreted and you're going to have Eastern dominant symptoms. So those clots, those heavy painful periods, like it's just they they hold hands. Your gut and your ovaries go, I need you and you need me. So let's, <laughs> you know, let's make this work properly so there's nutritionists who just do not just but focusing on food and then there's ones like me who do add the food component because i know that it's important but who also use what i call the functional testing as well so it's not a functional nutritionist is not a I don't know how you use the word. It's not like naturopath. It's not like physio. It is technically I'm just a nutritionist, but I put that on front and there's plenty of other women who do the same. put that on front to kind of go, hey, I do the functional testing as well Like mm-hmm. because to me that's that's my niche and that's what's really, really important. I do use herbs. I do use vitamins, mineral supplements and stuff, but uh, my scope kind of extends because I've done that extra testing
0: Hey guys, just jumping in here to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, Tea Bar Tea Salon. Tea Bar is a proud South Aussie family-owned business bringing authentic tea flavours from around the world to your teapot at home. They source all of their leaf direct from ethical growers from Australia and around the globe and now offer over 120 different blends of tea. I highly recommend the peanut butter and jam green tea when I'm on my period because it satisfies my sugar cravings without any nasties or the green tea matcha powder to make the best at home matcha lattes. For all your tea needs, head to tbar.com.au. Thank you so much, T-Bar, for sponsoring this episode. Are you able to run us through some of the most common symptoms you've seen of someone who has um, a gut issue?
2: Um, yeah, so the most common ones I see or hear about is stomach pain. So that can be anything from as soon as they eat food, so high up in your stomach, um, or to further down a couple hours after food. So if there's SIBO overgrowth, there's so small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, it'll be a couple hours after eating that'll come up. Um, Otherwise, it could be three to four hours eating and it could be in the large intestine. So then again, that bloating, that pain, and then those digestion issues as well. So constipation, loose stools, um, a lot of reflux I'm seeing more and more in young women, which is not something I've come across typically before and I'm learning more about it going, okay, it's a malabsorption, poor digestion thing as well. So that definitely plays a part too. Um, they would be the most common ones. But classically, uh, say a female, you know, Izzy, you come to me and say, oh, I've, I've got all these stomach issues or you've been to your GP and your GP said, oh, it's just IBS. And you're like, well... What does that mean? What do I do and what does that mean? Um, for starters, you, you know, usually your GP will say, make sure you have Movicol or some kind of fiber to help keep things regular and then possibly laxatives um, if someone's severely constipated. And then you know, they'll go, are you drinking enough water? Are you exercising all those X, Y, Z, those common things? They'll tick through those main points. Um, But then it's like, well then what? I've got this IBS diagnosis. What do I do with it? Like where do I go from here with it? Kind of thing. So that's kind of the most common areas that then come to me and said, Well, I've got IBS. And like, well, like tell me more, because what symptoms are you experiencing? Why are you experiencing them day to day? And what could be the, you know, the underlying cause of them, so to speak. So That's probably the most common stuff with gut things or reactions to food, like FODMAPs. And I won't dive into that. I do have a podcast episode on it if people want to know more. But basically, if you go to your doctor, he'll say, go on a low FODMAP diet or a dietitian may say that as well, which is just simply removing different types of carbohydrates out of your diet, like onion and garlic, for example, take two of your most common ones. Remove Only the, the, the two
1: best diet. things ever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, oh,
2: I know. And there's people who eat them and just get so much stomach pain and it just triggers their IBS, so to speak, and it's awful. So you you go, well, what? Like I can't eat those foods forever? Like seriously, forever? Um, but something like that again really good for picking up what your reactions to things are but it should be short term like anything it should be a short-term elimination then if you can't reintroduce them back in after you know they say the monash university app is really great but monash university has done a lot of study into it Um, two to six weeks if you can't reintroduce these foods go and do some gut work because Basically, in a sentence, you don't have enough good gut flora to break down garlic or onions or legumes, or some people it's gluten. So some people react to gluten as celiac, but some it's because it's a higher FOD map, so it's got these Goss carbohydrate chains in it, which you're you don't have enough bacteria or enzymes or things to break it down properly. So mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a symptom based approach. It's helpful, definitely, but going on a fodmap diet for years, well, you're doing exactly what your gut doesn't want you to do. You're not feeding those bacteria that you need to thrive because all of a sudden you're cutting all these foods. And a female come to me or male and be like, "Hey, I can't eat." all of this and I'm like well that's no way to live either like I know it mm. helps your symptoms but what's what's your long-term plan like well I've got IBS I'm like we're just going in circles here that's like coming to me and saying I've got PMS like premenstrual syndrome it's like well like what are we going to do about it and why do you have it
1: mm. do you mind just breaking down the difference between good gut flora and bad gut flora and perhaps where that bad gut flora even comes from?
2: Yeah, sure. So we kind of keep it quite simple these days. You can see a lot of it around. But good gut flora is things like you can actually find them in, in your yogurts if you look on the back sometimes or some of your fermented foods, your kombucha or your kimchi, might have the strains of bacteria it's actually got in it. Uh, Same if you look in your probiotics, but lactobacillus and bifobactam are two of your most popular ones. Now, these good gut flora, we call them good because they are what in your small intestine They help produce your B vitamins and your vitamin K. They break down your food. They also protect your gut lining. And you hear a lot of stuff about leaky gut, but essentially there's a one cell layer in your gut and the cells in there sit shoulder to shoulder in your gut. Now, when there's leaky gut, there's not enough good gut flora in there protecting it. There's not enough mucus in there protecting it. And those cells separate and that means that food particles, um, medications, pathogens, things go through that one cell into your bloodstream that's sitting underneath, and your body goes, hey, wait a second, this shouldn't be in my bloodstream. we got to attack it. It sends off an immune response. And then we're starting to see more and more of these immune conditions because people aren't protecting their good gut flora. They're not protecting their gut lining, which is impacted by things like antibiotics birth control stress medications poor diet all that kind of stuff impacts it Um, and then we see get Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis or whatever it is that our body and immune system goes a bit crazy so you need good gut flora for digestion for vitamins and minerals uh, for breaking down your food for producing short-chain fatty acids, which promote long-term health, um, there's a really great book if people want to know more on this called Fiber Fueled by a gastroenterologist, uh, Dr. Will. I'll say his name wrong, Birschler, but um, that is fantastic, and he goes into a lot of information on it. But we deplete those good gut fl- fiber because we live in a fast-paced society and we're not always eating well and we're exposing ourselves to a lot of stuff. A lot of us travel or have pets or swim in rainwater or whatever, so you can pick up parasites very easily, You know, rainwater camping, um, those kinds of things. Yeast overgrowth, if you have a bout of antibiotics and it damages a lot of your good gut flora, yeast or candida can easily um, overgrow. It should always be in your gut. It is a, a commensal, so it's a normal gut flora. Aura, but it, it'll overgrow when it's given the opportunity, so I just call it opportunistic bacteria. Uh, and then there's a few other there's um, strep or some of these ones, E. coli or things that may overgrow in your gut, just because they're not kept in check. So the idea is that if you went, hey, I have to take antibiotics because I'm having surgery or medication or I've got you know strep throat or something, we like just need to do it, you take it, you then rehab your good gut flora just like you pull your arm out your socket you rehab it you go to the gym you start at the one kilo and you build your way up to the five kilo same thing here you've you've damaged your good gut flora you've been too stressed you've taken birth control, take antibiotics, you've done all these things, you're like, right, I, I need to rehab my gut, essentially, I need to feed it these prebiotic fibres to build it up bigger and bigger and bigger doses. Same thing, if you went, right, I'm just going to feed it right now and give it a whole heap of prebiotic fibres, garlic, onions, legumes, da 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 it would have a heart attack. I could just be like, I can't digest all that fibre, I, I just can't. So... You work your way up slowly or you start with a supplement, like one that's really easy for most people. is called PHGG and you just start with a quarter of a teaspoon and you build your way up. After a week, you improve it and you improve it and you improve it. It's just a, it's a long-term game.
0: You mentioned um, c- candida and... Something that you hear is really common in, in women is chronic thrush. And often when yeah. someone says, you know, I've got chronic thrush, I was told to change my lubricant or my condoms or my underwear and just things aren't working. I don't. Th- many people don't realize that it's their diet that can also have a really big role in that. Can you just speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, candida yeast infections are quite common. Um, you might see it come up as thrush. So, just want to identify not everyone who has a candida overgrowth in their gut will have thrush, but often they do. So, candida does, does, can, will travel around the body. So, you'll see it as dandruff or scalp infections. Uh, you'll see it on the tongue. If the tongue gets a white, Coating over it, you'll see it as sugar cravings, you'll see it as itchy skin, you'll see it as brain fog. Um, you might see it sometimes of those little white bumps females sometimes get on their arms as well. Uh so there's a few different areas, and then yeah, obviously um the thrush as well. So those things all kind of speak to me. Okay, there, there's a fungal overgrowth in the body. Um, diet plays a massive role because there is a link between candida and estrogen for starters like um candida and estrogen do recycle off each other so sometimes it will get worse around your period or before period or whatever as those ph levels change um, and those hormone levels shift as well but when it comes to diet it loves sugar so anything sweet easy to digest um simple carbohydrates so you know pasta white bread um those kinds of things your sugar your ice cream that that kind of stuff is is going to be just direct fuel for it but in saying that again it comes back right to what i said at the start you can have a healthy diet and you can still have these overgrowths okay so That means candida is very smart in the fact that you could be eating a keto-style diet, so eating a lot of fats and a lot of proteins and not a lot of carbs, and you could still have a candida infection because it will shift and it would feed itself off fats instead it just it's really really tricky to deal with and again it comes back to tests don't guess because i had a client the other day had a lot of candida symptoms quoting terms there but didn't actually have a candida overgrowth it was an opportunistic bacteria it presents similarly so Same with females, doing your diet stuff is awesome and will help control it, but you need to do an antifungal or antimicrobial, depending on what you've got, protocol um as as well usually for around 30 to 60 days to treat that candida and then be quite strict on your diet for a month but diet alone might control your symptoms but it's not going to pull that candida back into balance it's it's just not enough on its own Um, but it, it is like i said it's a supportive part of the of the whole picture
1: Sheridan before you mentioned gut issues and you suggested a few different risk factors such as antibiotics and um, birth control all these sort of factors that seem quite modern and I'm wondering if you think that our ancestors experienced a lot of these issues like hundreds of years ago or do you think that it's something that's grown as these lifestyle factors have grown?
2: I do personally think it's gotten worse as it's gone on. I can see that from various levels. I think there's stress placed on us today, um, you know, it, there, there's a lot of factors where we're juggling, the work situations have changed for a lot of people, the kids' situation has changed for a lot of people, and I think we are trying to do more and be more, so the the stress on younger people I think is a lot higher than possibly what it was, um, even between my generation, my mum's generation and the things I'm doing compared to what she was doing in a sense, and, you know, not saying there wasn't people pushing these boundaries as much, but it there was more of a this is kind of my life path and this is what I do. And now, you know, we're we're doing so many more things. So I think the stress has grown, but I think. Our food has changed a lot. Our nutrient density in our fruits and veggies is nowhere near what it used to be. We're processing so much more stuff. Like this gluten issue, this was not an issue, you know, I don't know, about 10 years ago, but 20 years ago, it was not. Like my grandma is amazing, eats bread every single day, makes it herself and has never had any gut issues, grows everything from scratch, you know, and doesn't have all these bacteria and yeast overgrowth, but a lot of us start eating bread every day for two or three meals. And I think within a couple of weeks, we would start to feed on infection pretty quickly. So, Mm. our food is a lot more processed and um, the quality is a lot lower unless you're specifically picking out like a, a good quality fermented sourdough or something but again then that stuff is really expensive because we're not making as much ourselves mm. as well and some people have the time but most of us don't and it's just it's just not as done it it's all there why would i when i can buy it you know like mm. so there's that thing as well um and then i guess You know, I feel like uh, antibiotics are prescribed quite quickly now. I can't say what that was like 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, but I do see, you know, even for things like acne and whatnot, the amount of women I see who've been, you know, taking antibiotics for acne and stuff, I feel like it's, it's very quickly given. We do have a very pill pill approach like you know pill first sort of base and and that i feel like has shifted yeah and the quality of our foods the vitamins in our foods our digestion and everything being on the go like how many people and i am so bad at this but how many of us eat while we're doing something else watching their little pigs working on my laptop like whatever it is and driving you know having smoothies on the go and our body's going hey whoa like i need to be in rest and digest mode when you're feeding me i can't be doing a hundred other things and that's the same you know with your periods we're we're doing so much stuff and it's like well my body's going i'm running from a bear right now i'm trying to do this i'm trying to do that i'm trying to do that i'm not ready to have a baby and procreate i don't i don't want to ovulate and i don't want to give you any progesterone because i don't want you to fall pregnant so it's I think, yeah, I think our society norms and things have shifted as well. Um, I think we've got a lot more access to things now to help, you know, gut health and whatnot as well.
0: Mm. If someone were to come to you and say, you know, I have X, Y and Z symptom and my doctor prescribed me the pill, you know, let's say IBS and acne, would you recommend this person first investigate their gut health or their hormones before they start taking the pill
2: yeah yep so definitely would would definitely look at gut health first because gut health if you've got a pyramid of health Gut health is down the bottom, right? So we need a solid foundation for absorbing nutrients, processing nutrients, getting rid of hormones, supporting the liver, all that stuff there. So work on that gut health. Um, If... If you do, just a side note, for okay carry on that. If you do take birth control pill or, you you know, you, you do have to for whatever reason, that's totally fine. But just be mindful of supporting your body while you're on it. So there's an amazing book, Beyond the Pill, by Dr. Jolene Brighton. Incredible. Has so much information. It's not just for those coming off the pill. It's got, she's an incredible doctor. Um, but supporting that microbiome, supporting because it depletes B vitamins, it depletes minerals and stuff. So just being conscious that you're... Just like when you take antibiotics and I say rehab your gut, do
0: the same with birth control. So just going to say, I feel like there's this incorrect view that the pill is the be-all, end-all, magical solver of all problems. And for many people, it can be for, especially, you know, with some cases of endo, but at the end of the day, We need to see it for what it is. And like you were saying, we need to support our body if we do decide to take it and also, you know, accept the fact that when you come off it, you might have to face some of the issues that you were originally going to fix before you were prescribed the pill. Yeah,
2: Yeah. same as, you know, same as fertility or trying to fall pregnant or those kinds of things as well. Like sometimes coming off the pill, that stuff resolves itself, like and you'll get your period back smack on and you'll be ovulating fine. Um, Sometimes it takes years to get your period back and to regulate things again. And same with acne, it might. For me, I went on the pill early on for my skin and it didn't help at all. It actually made things 10 times worse. But some people it does really help but when they come off it you've got to allow you know a a year for these things to regulate again because you've got to understand that your body hasn't been ovulating so the pill shuts down ovulation so you're not producing your own you know progesterone and hormones so your body has to relearn these pathways in a sense and sometimes like i said some females transition often on the pill no issue at all others have lots of issues have lots of issues coming off get lots of cystic acne back and like i said it can take a few cycles but it can also take time to figure out where these imbalances are coming from especially if you've sort of been masking it for for so long you know if it's metabolic like say pcos and you're simply not balancing your blood sugar levels let's say with diet or exercise then you've got to do some of that work but if you know, if you're not addressing those other things, like acupuncture is really helpful as well. Like I, I got acupuncture too. But just, yeah, talking talking to yourself because there's that saying, like talk to yourself like you'd talk to your best friend or others, you know. Like I would never say anything horrible to these ladies because that seems so out of place. But to yourself, easy, first thing. It's just like, oh, here we go again. Oh, you're doing that again or whatever, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's it's learning to treat yourself better and being okay with that. And that took me a long time because there's just these underlying thoughts sometimes of I'm not worthy. I'm not okay unless I'm, I'm ticking the boxes and I'm doing the right things. And especially, I know there's so many of us that put pressure on ourselves, but actually going, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm okay. And I'm going to allow myself to do that if I want to do that.
0: Yeah. It's really clear from our discussions today that we can use our diet to support healthy and pain-free cycles are you able to walk us through a couple of examples of the types of foods we should be eating um, at each phase of our cycle
2: yeah for sure so there's a couple things firstly if you do struggle with heavy painful periods um not even in phases of your cycle but Flax seeds, raw carrots, uh, spearmint tea are all really, really helpful in helping to and yeah, raw carrots with the skin on as well because of the fiber in them, helping to detox that, that excess estrogen. So, just across the board, they're quite good. And things like raspberry leaf, like tea, is really good for the cramping. Um, nettle tea is really good if you've got, same as spearmint tea, if you've got the high androgens and get a lot of the cystic acne, that can help with that as well. Um, of course, with a natural nutritionist based approach, place around you know months and time for these, these things to work it's it's not a quick fix um, but they're really supportive but otherwise the one of the most common things we've we'll talked about is the seed cycling so in the first phase so I just a quick a to Z on your cycle, you've got your follicular phase and then your luteal phase. In your follicular phase, you're developing follicles, so you're, you're leading up to ovulation. Then around, and let's just say you've got a 28-day cycle, around day 14, you ovulate, uh, you release that egg, and then in the second half, so that luteal phase, you're supporting progesterone. So in the first phase, as we're supporting that rise of estrogen, um there is that talk of having the freshly ground flax and pumpkin seeds um, each, each day, one to two tablespoons, because it supports estrogen through that, uh, like phytoestrogen uh, properties of the, of the seeds. And then in the second half of the phase, you have your sunflower seeds, um, sesame and sunflower seeds, s's, And that supports progesterone because of the zinc in them. And also, I think the vitamin E in them as well will support that. That progesterone. So for some women, that's actually enough to sort of make sure they're getting a two tablespoons of fat sort of in their day as well. Good, good quality fats. But having that, yeah, that sort of balance between the the um, follicular and the luteal phase, and knowing that, you know, it's. It's not the be on the end all, but it can be really supportive and it does add that extra fibre component, that extra fat, those extra vitamins and minerals as well. If you don't have cycles or you're in birth control, do it around the phases of the moon. So I'm going to get this wrong, so Google it after (laughs) way listening to the podcast, but it would be um, new moon to full moon. You would... Do your follicular phase, so your flax and pumpkin, and then I think from full moon back to new moon, you would do your second two seeds, so sesame, and your sunflower, um, your one to two tablespoons. So, yeah, just, just follow the cycles of the moon. Some women. Amazingly, which I love this because this is all that sort of intuitive stuff as well, will ovulate and will um bleed in accordance with the moons as well. So because the moons run in a cycle, um, and obviously our, our you know bodies or you know people who are menstruating, menstruate in a cycle, then it, it's the, the same kind of thing. So you can follow through. If you have irregular cycles, again try to follow the moon because it can, and I have seen it, but it's not scientific. Proven there's not enough data on it, like so many things. Um, but it can even mentally, even if it's that placebo type effect as well. Again, that talking to the body, going, Hey, we must be leading up to ovulation because we're eating this and this. So it's it's just a real gentle, supportive way. But otherwise, yeah, like I said, those other kind of fibrous aspects would definitely help. Um with the periods, or yes, yeah, spearmint tea for acne as well. Two to three cups a day definitely takes a couple months, but it is a good anti-androgen thing. And and foods high um, in zinc can be really supportive
0: for that healing and that repair as well. Mm. If I can get to a point where my period is synced up with the moon, I feel like I will have reached ultimate womanhood. Oh no. <laughs> I am Mother Nature.
2: Hey, yes. mean child. I, I just love the, the idea behind it and that we are so amazing because, you know, we do go in this monthly cycle, whereas men go in a daily cycle. Their testosterone fluctuates over a day, every single day, right? So, how often do we forget that your periods your diet you know your moods your workability your enthusiasm for life your sleep quality your body temperature all these things are going to fluctuate every single month so Start recognising what your body's doing. If you don't track your cycle, track your cycle. Start to pick, you know, what's your skin doing? What's your bloating doing? Because that's also going to fluctuate with your cycle and with those estrogen changes. And what are you doing for exercise? And how are you changing that around your diet? And are you being kinder to yourself when you're more prone to be feeling flat and have low energy? So it's your monthly report card. Your period will tell you what is going on with your body if you're missing it, if it's heavy, if it's late, it's saying, hey, Sheridan, something is wrong. I'm not here because something is wrong and you you, you can't just ignore that.
1: Mm. All the talk about um, the different seeds to uh, supplement different hormones made me think of the controversial topic of soy because I remember for a long time uh, people were freaked out that soy included an oestrogen that the human body responded to as if it was its own oestrogen but after doing a little bit of reading into it it's it's quite obvious that it's a plant type oestrogen but i'm interested to know what your thoughts are and how that interacts with our own oestrogen
2: yeah, so I call it, uh, and there are, like you said, there's so many schools of thoughts on this. I'll, I'll just give you mine, but I do know that uh, Dr. Will from that Fiber Fed, a uh, fiber fueled book, find him on Instagram because he literally did a post on this two or three days ago and explained it beautifully. Um, but it's a uh, phytoestrogen in the sense that it's supposed to regulate your estrogen levels, as in, like if that's too high, bring it down; if that's too low um uh boosted up so it should just support healthy estrogen now i've got to say this when it comes to soy it depends on the quality of the soy and what form of soy you're having if it's processed soy milk for example and it's got sugars and additives and vegetable oils and it's 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 a poor quality soy bean it's not going to be good for you and same with um sorry to the vegans vegetarians or those who eat it but lots of your fake meats and things that are made out of like it's weird soy processed soy proteins and things not not happening <laughs> like i'm not going to do it with you. but if it's like tempeh like good quality tempeh or good quality tofu or edamame type beans or any of these sort of more Natural, you know, natural sort of forms of soy. I'm, you know, go for it. I'm I'm for it, and and that's all. That's all great in regulating those things as well. Like like anything, it comes down to quality.
1: Mm, It's just really interesting because I remember reading that. Uh, the prevalence of breast cancer is lowered in Asian demographics um, and a lot of Asian cuisine is very, very high in soy. And I remember reading some research articles about the connection between the two um, and how, in fact, Plant based soy, so the sorry, plant based estrogen, so the phytoestrogens can sometimes have a pr- protective factor in that those breast cancers that usually respond to estrogen and grow in response to estrogen are kind of blocked by this plant soy that's not quite the same, but same enough that it blocks the little receptor. I just found that super interesting and it's very, very early research. I think they've only done a couple of trials, um, but I found that very interesting as someone who, for a period of time steered clear from soy because I thought it was giving me acne and all these estrogen, um, symptoms.
2: Yeah. And the, the other interesting thing on that as well is that, um, in like the Dutch tests, like the dry urine comprehensive testing, when you're looking at oestrogen, you can see what's happening in phase one of the liver, and if that pathway is not supported enough, you can see where it will normally uh, detox to get to the second pathway. And in some women, you can see if they're prone to breast cancer and things because if it's going down this 4 pathway, we call it, then it's not getting detoxified properly and again it can cause it can cause DNA damage and it can lead to breast cancer and things so it's interesting when you start to look at the you know what nutrients support that and what foods so yeah is it is it your soy products and your cruciferous vegetables and getting enough of your B vitamins and all those you know food based factors long term what's you know what's the impact of them
0: I feel like we could ask you a million and one <laughs> more questions but we will leave it there for today I think we're gonna have to do a round two with you because I can yeah I'm sure Izzy and I can both think of like heaps more we want to ask you um but thank you so much for joining us today this was such an awesome conversation and one we've been looking forward to for ages so thank you so much for nice, your wisdom total, total pleasure it's, it's
2: lovely to be here and hey you know like if it helps you know two women five women ten women whatever it is even if it's you know one more person who's going oh I just I, I learned something that I didn't know then please reach out send me a message or if you want more information on anything I've talked about I follow so many great people on Instagram I'll just flick you know through to their page or something because there is so much information out there and I forget how much we don't know because like Instagram does my feed is filled with all this information because that's the kind of people I follow but for some people I might be the only person in their feed who's you know educating and empowering them that that there's more beyond what their GP or what they may have learned.
0: Yeah awesome Mm. we'll have all your details Um, as well in the show notes for everyone to be able to get in touch with you so amazing thank you
1: thank you so much Sheridan have a great day
0: thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of The Flow by Taboo Period Products please leave a review of our podcast give us a rating hopefully five stars and share it with your friends Follow us at Taboo Period Products on Instagram and Facebook. We will be posting stories and question boxes on the topics we discussed today. So head over to our Instagram and join the conversation. We'll be back in your ears again next Wednesday. But in the meantime, enjoy your flow.